Our reading this morning is from Gospel of John, beginning in chapter 18, verse 28 through 19, 16a. I invite you to follow along in your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, it is printed in the Worship Guide on page 10 and 11. I invite you to stand with me as I read, and I remind you as you do that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God will endure forever. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or do others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests had delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After Jesus had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Then Jesus answered him, then the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, in an Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, 
Away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Pete. Just as we get started here, you may have heard Pete in his prayer say that we come to put ourselves underneath the Word of God, and I just want to thank you. It's a privilege and a joy to preach to a family of people who do that week after week, that you are eager to hear the Word of God and to submit to His truth, and that makes it a great joy to preach the Word each week. So thank you for that. We return to our study of John, and here we see that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Christians from all over the world have said those words together as a confession of our faith for over 1,500 years. We say them often here at proclamation. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. And now we've come to the place in the study of John's gospel where we see this happening. Jesus is on trial. The Jewish leaders want to put him to death. He goes willingly to the cross, and now he's brought before Pilate, and Pilate could have set him free, but he did not. And once again, our passage ends on this ominous note. Last week, it was, and at once, the rooster crowed. And now this week, verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Just before that, Pilate had said to the Jews, Behold your king. Behold your king. And here we are. Think about what we're doing. Some 2,000 years later, across the Atlantic Ocean, 6,000 miles away from where this event took place. And what have we done now? We have come to behold our king. To worship this one who suffered under Pontius Pilate. And once again, the glory of our King Jesus is on display in this encounter, in his trial before Pilate, on his way to the crucifixion. And we have come right now, this morning here, we've come to behold it and to be changed, to see and believe and follow this King. Who is this King? And how are we to respond today? Here's the the big picture summary. The true king without blemish. The one we behold this morning. The true king without blemish was crucified in the place of sinners. So that we might enjoy his reign and live free in his kingdom. That's good news for us this morning. This morning I'm going to highlight four aspects of the glory of this king and his kingdom to help us behold our king and worship him. So first, Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Verse 33, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds to his question with a question of his own. Jesus wants to know what Pilate means by that question. Let's define our terms. Do you say this of your own accord? Is this a charge you are bringing against me? It's almost as if Jesus is asking Pilate, okay, what are you you asking? Are you asking if I am a political king? 
Am I a risk, a threat to the present-day rule of Rome? Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it about me? Is this charge coming from someone or, or somewhere else? Are you asking if I am the messianic king, the promised one that God's people have been waiting for? And how does Pilate answer? Am I a Jew? This is not about me. Your own people have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And this is where Jesus says in verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So the first aspect of the glory of this king and of his kingdom that we see is this, his kingdom is not of this world. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in the middle of his famous teaching, that Sermon on the Mount, and he told us that we should not lay up treasures on earth, but lay up treasures in heaven. He said we should not be anxious about our lives, what we'll eat, what we will drink, what we will wear. Those who do not know God seek after these things. But our Father in heaven, he knows that we need all of these, so instead, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I wonder what kingdom are you seeking this morning? What kingdom are you living for? Who is your king? In verse 12, Pilate sought to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And Jesus did oppose Caesar. Jesus, the true king, is Lord, not Caesar. Jesus did oppose Caesar, and he will oppose all who stake a claim to his throne. But we, we could turn that around and say it like this. Everyone who makes himself a friend of the world opposes Jesus. Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. Well, how do we make ourselves a friend of the world today? We do that when we adopt the standards and the values of this world around us. We do that when we seek their approval or their, their favor, their acceptance, and we let that determine our actions, how we live. It's what Pilate did here. He sought to release Jesus, so why didn't he? Because he was a friend of the world. He desired the approval of the crowd. And he let that approval. The approval of the crowd before him. The approval of those who had authority over him. He let that guide and direct his heart and his actions. More than the favor. The approval of the king of glory. Pilate lived to please man. Not God. He lived for this present world. He did not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, Pilate wasn't the only one who rejected this king and his kingdom. At the end of this passage, verse 15, the chief priest said, We have no king but Caesar. It's not what Pilate said. It's what the chief priest said. We have no king but Caesar. Imagine me stepping into this pulpit and preaching, or the elders writing a letter and then sending it to the congregation and saying, we have no king 
but Biden. We have no king but Trump. We have no king but America. That would be appalling. And I would hope that you would scream out in resistance. This is the wickedness of the chief priests. This is how much they hated Jesus. These were the teachers of the law of God and they reject Christ. The one that all the law pointed to. They've studied the law and it's pointing to Christ. This is the one standing before them. All the promises of the Old Testament find their fulfillment in him. And not only that, we have no king but Caesar. Not only do they reject Jesus, they're essentially saying they would prefer the tyranny of the Roman Empire, which they abhorred. They would prefer that tyranny over the rightful and just and good and loving reign of Jesus in their hearts and their lives. They prefer the kingdom of men to the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Beloved, those who love Jesus, we who behold the, king, the glory of King Jesus, we find our joy and our happiness in living under his loving reign and authority. Whether we are placed under a just and lawful government in this world or whether we are under the oppression of tyrants, Jesus is our king. Beloved, the kingdom of God is not of this world. And if you would love and worship and obey and follow King Jesus, you will not give your ultimate allegiance to or set your true hope in any government of this world. And you will not live for the approval of those who hate God. It's not how Christians live. We fix our gaze on a higher glory, a kingdom to come. So behold your king. His kingdom is not of this world, and if you would love and honor this king, you will not live for this world. You will live for him. Second, Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. Verse 37, Pilate says to Jesus, so you are a king. And Jesus said to him, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. God the Father sent his Son into the world to bear witness to the truth so that we could know the truth, so that we could live according to the truth. Well, Pilate says, what is truth? And Jesus doesn't answer that question right there. But we might ask, what truth? What truth did Jesus come to bear witness to? And there are many ways that we could answer that. We could say, well, simply the entire revelation of God that we have in the Scriptures. All that we see in both the Old and the New Testaments. Or we might say the truth of who God is and who we are. That big grand picture. We could talk about all that John has been revealing to us in his gospel. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And there is life in his name. In fact, that's why the Jews want to put Jesus to death. Because Jesus made himself to be the Son of God. The irony, that was true. They didn't see it. It was true. But when Pilate learned this, what was his response? He was even more afraid. So he wants to talk to Jesus about this. He asked Jesus about this, and when Jesus doesn't answer him, Pilate says in verse 10, Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? But what did Jesus say? 
Again, beloved, Jesus is not afraid. Jesus answered with the truth. You, Pilate, would have no authority at all over me unless it had been given to you from above. So Jesus is bearing witness to the truth about true power and true authority. And this, I don't think it's simply the Romans 13 truth, that there is no authority except that which comes from God. That is true. But I think this is more Acts 4, where Peter and John have been released, and they're giving thanks to God, they're praying to God, and they say this in their prayer. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Who has the authority here? Pilate had no real authority, no real power here. It may have looked and felt like, I'm sure it looked and felt like Jesus' life was in Pilate's hands. It looked and felt like Pilate was judge over Jesus. But the truth is, Pilate's life was in Jesus' hands. And Jesus is the one who would judge Pilate. Beloved, we must be on guard. We must be aware that we don't let the difficult circumstances of our lives, the things that feel true, that look true, we don't let them cause us to believe things that are not true. It may look like, it may feel like the devil has the upper hand. But beloved, who is on the throne? Who's the king God is on the throne and he is good and loving and kind. And in the end, all who are his will reign with him. We could just be a little patient. It's coming. You know, Pilate could not do one little thing to Jesus apart from the will and plan of our father in heaven. Another confession that we use sometimes is the Heidelberg Catechism, especially that question and answer number one. I would encourage you, if you haven't yet, if, you're, if this is your home church, if you haven't yet, I would encourage you to memorize question and answer one. We say it, it's part of our cycle of the confessions of faith that we use, so you've, you've heard it here before, you'll hear it again, and I just would encourage you to, to memorize it and meditate on it. But here's the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death. And the answer tells us that Jesus, King Jesus, watches over us in such a way, what? That not a hair can fall from our heads apart from the will of our Father in heaven. Beloved, this is true. It's true. And what comfort and what peace that brings us. Our lives, every little thing about them and every big thing about them are in the hands of our Father who gave his Son for us. Pilate could not pluck a single hair from Jesus' head apart from the will of God. Jesus then says, Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. I've always wondered about that. And so this week as I studied that, I saw that this could refer to either Judas or Caiaphas. 
Judas, who betrayed Jesus and handed him over, or Caiaphas, who hands him over to Pilate here, they are guilty of the greater sin. But this does not absolve Pilate of his guilt. He was still responsible for his actions. But Pilate wasn't the one behind this plot to kill Jesus. He was passive in his role, not active like either both Judas or Caiaphas. But Pilate did nothing to stop it, so he bears his own guilt. Well, Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. He is God, we are not. He is judge, and we are accountable to him. He came so we could know and live according to the truth. And we must recognize, we must be aware, we must realize that our world is full of lies. We live in a world of lies. Our world promotes lies. They advertise lies. They make them look attractive and normal and good and true. And here's a common one today. Just one of many. But here's one that you have probably heard. My body, my choice. Is that true? You know, most lies have a semblance of truth in them. But there's a distortion. Is that what we learn from the scriptures? Beloved, what filter do you use to guard your heart? The things that you see, the things you watch or you listen to, how do you know if they are true? My body, my choice. Whether we are talking about giving birth or getting a vaccine or determining your diet or what you think about sexuality or gender, how you treat others, how you treat yourself. My body, my choice is not true. It's not simply your choice. What do the scriptures say? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, therefore, Glorify God in your body. So it would be better, it would be more true to say, God's body, his choice or his honor. My body belongs to the Lord. And the choices I make in regards to what I do or don't do with it must honor him. Beloved, what is your only comfort in life and in death that I am what? Not my own. I am not my own, but belong what? Body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We are not our own. Our lives are his, and Jesus came to bear witness to this truth. When you live according to the lie, you will suffer, and the world around you will suffer. True shalom, true peace, true flourishing of humankind only comes when we live in light of the truth. And if you want to love your neighbor, you must proclaim and live according to that truth. Jesus came to bear witness to this truth. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. That's the price. You were bought with a price, the highest priced possible. God has purchased you. He's obtained you. He's made you his own through the precious blood of his own son. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth. We are not our own, but we belong to him. 
His is the kingdom. We're the guests, and he is the king, and he will reign forever and ever, and by his life and death and resurrection, we can be brought into his kingdom to be God's people in God's place, enjoying God's reign forever. Jesus then said in verse 37 that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And so I have lots of questions for you this morning, but here's another one, beloved. Are you of the truth? Are you of the truth? If you're not of the truth, what's the alternative? You're of the lie. It's either the truth or the lie. Either you listen to the voice of truth to Jesus and you have life, or you listen to the voice of Satan, the father of lives, to your destruction. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So are you listening to his voice? Where do we do that? How do we do that? Well, remember what Pete prayed just moments ago. We do it here as we gather for worship and we we put ourselves underneath the authority and the truth as God speaks to us through his word. We do it here. But it doesn't only have to be here, beloved. You have, what a privilege we have to have the word of God in our hands and our homes and such free access to it. So every day you can put yourself underneath the truth of God's word to be of the truth, to listen to his voice because we are saturated with a world of lies. How do we fight against those lies? We need to saturate, saturate ourselves in the word of God. Be of the truth and listen to his voice. Beloved, behold your king. He came to bear witness to the truth and if you would love and honor this king, you will listen to his voice and you will walk in the truth. Third, There is no guilt in this king. He is without blemish. There's no guilt in this king. Three times, you may have noticed, three times in this trial, Pilate says of Jesus, I find no guilt in him. Over and over and over again. First, after they have this exchange about truth, verse 38, Pilate goes back outside to the Jews and he pronounces, I find no guilt in him. Then, After having Jesus flogged, beaten, mocked, even though he's found no guilt in him. What a travesty. But again, he goes out to the Jews and he says, verse 4, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And then when they cry out to him, crucify him, crucify him. In verse 6, Pilate says again, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. At the beginning of this gospel, The very first chapter, John the Baptist sees Jesus come on the scene and he makes that wonderful pronouncement, behold the Lamb of God. And now John has been showing us all throughout his gospel, he's been showing us how Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, he is the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament pointed to. All the signs, all the ceremonies, all the sacrifices. And now John is very careful to tell us that these events, this trial on the way to his crucifixion is happening during the feast of Passover. This is important. Every year the Jews would celebrate this feast. It's a reminder to God's people how he delivered them from slavery in Egypt. God had warned that the firstborn son in every home would die. But he made this provision, a way of of escape, this, this opportunity that they could be delivered. Each home could take a lamb 
and sacrifice that lamb and place the blood of that lamb on the wooden doorposts and God would pass over that home and spare the child. And the Old Testament gives us detailed instructions on what they were to do, both in Exodus 12 and Leviticus 22, for the observance of Passover, for how to prepare this lamb for the sacrifice. It couldn't just be any old lamb they chose. They might think, oh, well, the lamb's going to die anyway. Let's, let's pick one that's about to die. No. Could not be any old lamb. It had to be a lamb without blemish. And so to ensure that, the lamb would be kept in their home for three days prior to the sacrifice so they could examine it carefully. And then only when it was known to be flawless, without blemish, with no guilt in it, could it then be offered as the sacrifice for Passover. Now one commentator says that in a similar, in a similar way, we may say that at the start of his public ministry, Jesus entered into the house of Israel for three years. That's when John the Baptist proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus taught out in the open. He did all those miraculous signs. He walked among the people to be examined by friends and enemies alike. And what do the scriptures tell us? None could find fault with him. And now here we are near the end of his life. We have this public verdict on his life. Pilate declares, I find no guilt in him. Beloved, the lamb is ready for the sacrifice. Pilate wasn't the only one to proclaim this glory of our king. Twice throughout that public ministry, we, we, Jesus heard, the people around him heard from God the Father in heaven pronounced, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John, the apostle, would say, Jesus is the righteous one. Peter would say, Jesus is the holy one. Even Judas, his enemy, would say, I have betrayed innocent blood. And Peter would write in his first letter that we have been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was the true Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Beloved, behold your king. There is no guilt in him. And if you would love and honor this king, you delight in his goodness and his beauty. You trust in him alone for your righteousness and you marvel that this one would die for you. That this one with no guilt would take the place of a guilty sinner. That leads us to our fourth and final aspect of the glory of Christ that I want to point out this morning. And it's simply this. Jesus was crucified in the place of sinners. Jesus was crucified in the place of sinners. At the end of chapter 18, after Pilate tells the Jews for the first time, I find no guilt in him. He then says in verse 39, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you, do you want me to release to you Jesus, the king of the Jews? And what did they say? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. And then John adds his commentary. 
It's so quick you might miss it. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now that word robber means a lot more than what we might think of in just our English translation. Barabbas was a prisoner awaiting crucifixion. The worst of punishments for the worst of criminals. So this, it's not saying Barabbas had just simply stolen something. It means that he was a terrorist. He had taken part in a bloody insurrection. The reality is this. Barabbas was a man who had actually committed murder in his struggle against Rome. And they want to release him and in his place condemn Jesus, a man falsely accused of being a danger to Rome. This is a guilty murderer being taken off death row and putting an innocent man in his place. The murderer goes free. The innocent one dies. So if that happened in today's world, we would be right to respond with righteous anger, to cry out for justice. But then do we realize in this case, we are the murderers. We are the guilty ones. And Jesus takes our place while we go free. Beloved, behold your king. He was crucified in the place of sinners. And if you would love and honor this king, you gladly offer him your very life. All of it, all of the time. He died for you. He died for you. He did not just help you. He gave his life for you. To save you. Near the end of our passage today, verse 15, Pilate asks the Jews, Shall I crucify your king? And they answer, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. It reminds me of the Old Testament book of Judges. Remember the commentary in that book? At that time, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is the human condition. This is our condition, the condition of every person who's ever lived, every person you know, apart from God, left to ourselves. We all reject the true king and we live a life of lies that ends in destruction. So do you see what we need? We need not only a king to rule over us, but we need a king who is also a savior. And that is exactly what we have. So you see, this king is not merely a good person or a great teacher, a moral example, a, a wise ruler, a loyal friend, a strong helper. He is your savior. And he is the only savior. And there is no guilt in him. But there is guilt in us. Pilate said, I find no basis for a charge in him. There was no fault to be found with Jesus. Can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? Of anyone else? We are covered with faults. We have done those things we ought not to have done. We have left undone those things that we ought to have done. And there is no health in us. We've 
rebelled against God's righteous rule. We've broken his laws. We deserve his condemnation. We deserve to die. And we were dead in our sins with no power to save ourselves. But God, God made us alive when we were dead. This is good news for sinners. Amen. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, The Lamb of God without blemish or fault was crucified in the place of sinners. He died for us that we might be saved from condemnation, that we might be brought into life and go free. So friend, I ask you another question this morning. Has Jesus died for you? He has, if you will, repent of your sin and trust in him. He has taken your punishment and guilt and set you free. And so, beloved, all who trust in Jesus, we are now children of the King and we share this in common. Whatever else may divide us or make us different from one another, this brings us together. This unites us in Christ. Every single one of us and everyone all over the world who trusts in Jesus, whether we're young or old, male or female, rich or poor, black or white, Our King Jesus unites us and we respond with gratitude and humility and love for him and others and service. Behold your King. Come let us worship and adore him. Let us trust and obey him. Let us follow him. For he will lead us into his eternal kingdom where guilty sinners get to reign with him forever because he's taken our guilt and set us free hallelujah what a savior amen